Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. A couple of uh, updates this morning. Follow up to the BitMart situation, which more tokens have been exposed to have been potentially breached in this whole situation. However, to their credit, the BitMart team, mostly his name Sheldon, uh, has been actively communicating. Uh, he's going to do an AMA this afternoon or this evening, rather. Uh, it's going to be 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So that's 5 o'clock if you're on the Pacific Time Zone. If you're in the international zones, you're going to need to calculate it. But it's 8 o'clock in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. That's today. Um, Sheldon Shia, I believe is his last name. He's going to be doing an AMA. He's going to talk about the breach. Um, it seems like they're planning to do some sort of compensation. We're not sure exactly what that looks like, but it seems like they are going to do something there. Kudos to them if they do. And then they're going to try to uh, manage communication. I want to call it a couple of things here. Um, Sheldon apparently is out of New York, so he's not international himself. But his the action that's taken here is representative of how things are done in other countries, specifically Japan in particular. Because like with Sharp, which is an international company and others, you know, in the United States, you'll see where there's some sort of issue and things don't go right. And it's just like, okay, well, billionaire just took out a bunch of, got more shares, extended to him worth, you know, $2 billion or something. It, overseas is a different thing. Overseas, they actually will, you know, give their salary back or they'll give their shares back or they'll sell off to compensate people who are harmed because there's an honor system in place. I suspect that this cultural is playing into this a little bit. I don't know that 100%, but I suspect it to be the case because just – the way that the approach has been done, I think is solid. And hopefully they learned about what happened and why it happened. And what he said was that a stolen, a key, a private key was stolen. And so then two, not one, but two of the hot wallets were compromised. Well, I speculated that the, it's very difficult to have stolen a private key unless if it's an inside job. I still don't know if it was or was not. However, they did step up and say they are going to try to use their own funding to compensate those that are affected, and then they're going to try to figure out what are some reasonable solutions, how are we going to be able to do that? Because the problem is, is that you know the accounts that are affected, and you know what tokens were affected, but then what is the cleanest, easiest way to make it right for people? So it looks like they're they're taking this opportunity to set up projects to try to figure out what that's going to look like, look like. And then try to fix the security and what's the go-forward plan and when are you going to be able to withdraw again because they're still locked down. They're talking about gradual reopens starting tomorrow, but they may roll back for whatever reason. But they have done, and he's done, a really good job of communicating to people of exactly what was going on and, and how they're going to try to make it right for people. On the back end, they may be trying to... Um, you know, trying to recoup the funds. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. And I want to just stress that you can't really trust blockchain because you may see you may see that there's still some some dumps happening, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're again they're already in the blockchain. So blockchain once it's blockchain, it's done. So the funds are already gone, and they've already locked stuff down. So you can't really trust blockchain. So don't look at it and say, hey, they're still taking out deep deep deep. No, that's not what it is. There's likely more going on there. So. Just be aware that they are actively doing something and make sure that you um, talk it out with support if you have concerns, specific concerns on those. Um, my guess is that if they are going to try to make it rack, they would basically purchase tokens to equate whatever was lost and then distribute equally back to the people who had it. 
or they may swap out existing inventory so they may rebalance. That's a common strategy. You rebalance what you already have into the fiat that was lost so that you can redistribute it to people that were holding it. Um, the biggest group I think that would have been affected by this just by virtue of popularity is my theory. This is all speculation. Um, would be the Satama group, number one, UFO, number two, Luffy, number three, and Shiv, number four. I believe they were the most affected just because they are currently in the forefront of popularity. And so the volume of tokens that were taken was extensive. And so I don't, you know, some of the numbers flying around are faulty. Like there was one person talking about 600 trillion Satama. I don't know if it was truly 600 trillion Satama. If it was, I mean, based on the dips that I'm seeing in the graphs, it doesn't seem like it would be 600 trillion. Because if you had 600 trillion, that's, you know, I think it has 100 quadrillion tokens, I believe. That's true. So if you had 600 trillion, I would expect more dip than what I'm seeing. It, it would it would dramatically drop. Like, we would lose, like, three or four resistance as far as what I'm seeing. I mean, maybe it was. But I think that there was probably a lesser number that was really affected, and perhaps people are reacting to other sales that weren't really part of the hack. However, I looked at the graph myself, the uh, spreadsheet, and I did see that number. So I'm not sure what's happening there, if there was something else going on, or it just happened that Satama was in multiple wallets and not just the one as they initially thought. Regardless, the BitMart team does seem to be stepping up to try to make it right. They have done a good job of communicating to the people that were affected. And I'll reinforce what I've said before, which is, to no fault of them, because it is what it is, but to everybody, please do not store tokens in an exchange. Store it in your wallet. Use the exchange to do whatever swap you're trying to do and then get out. Don't leave it in the exchange. I know it's tempting, but I recommend you don't do that. If it's something like a Coinbase, they could easily be hacked the same way because they use a similar technology in terms of the hot wallets and the swapping. So all of them are subject to it. This is not exclusive to BitMart. It's going to be, it's going to happen again. And I, without any sort of regulation in terms of the security standards in front of it, if this was not an inside job, I still maintain it likely had to have been from my perspective. But if it wasn't, until you have regulations about the security standards around the protection of assets, it's going to happen again. And so that's why I say, put it in a private wallet and don't touch it unless you're transacting you know, where you're swapping to a different token, then put it in exchange to do the swap and then get it out quick. Don't leave it there. In my opinion, it's not the right answer. Your private wallet, your private key is really the only way that you could stay reasonably safe. And then you have to protect that key, right? If you lock it in a safe or whatever you need to do to make sure nobody gets access to that key. But if you stick it in something like an exchange, you're not having access to the private keys. Even some of the wallets won't let you get the private key, but at least... By way of the seed phrase, you can help protect your wallet from anybody being able to breach it unless you accept a, you know, a sketchy airdrop or something. So I'm imploring everybody to really think about that and just don't, you know, stay safe. But I per I'm never going to stop advocating that you don't store things in an exchange for this very reason. It's not their fault. I'm just saying stay safe. Just take the safe route. I know it's an extra step, but I'm trying to advocate to help you keep your funds safe above and beyond what's convenient because unfortunately security tends to be inconvenient that's why it's secure so then let's talk about a new token an underdog token for today and then i want to spin back into another not really news but an informational piece 
The token that I chose today is called Genie Token. You may or may not have seen this on social media. If you're not on social media, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But Genie Token, which is genietoken.io, um, is a reasonably new, not quite fully new, but reasonably new. I'm trying to de determine exactly when they started. And I want to say sometime in the beginning of December, mid late November, perhaps, where is the pre-sale? Um, it's on the Binance Smart Chain. And this one stands out for one main reason, which is the structure of their lottery system. So let me just break down how the tokenomics work, and then I'll get to this. So this one has 100 trillion tokens in total supply, and it has a anti-whale mechanic by way of a max wallet hold percentage, which is 1.5%. As I've said before on a previous episode about anti-whale mechanics, many of them are going to fall short. This one also falls short because anybody knows you can have as many wallets as you want. So you're not really solving the problem. Somebody could buy 1.5% of total supply and then stick it in wallet A and then just keep doing that for multiple wallets until they get to the stake that they want to hold. And it's just the same thing. They would sell. You're not going to be able to stop the individual from being able to whale tank a given project. It's just not going to happen. So I commend them for at least trying something. I'm simply saying that it's not going to really have much of an appreciable difference. And really that 1.5, you know, is still 1.5 trillion tokens. So it's not, you know, it's not like it's a, a small amount of tokens. And again, somebody could easily spin up at that point 50 wallets and then just go nuts with it. You can spin multiple wallets and even like trust wallet by itself. You can have multiple wallets within the one trust wallet or Guarda lets you spin up as many wallets as you want. There's ways around that. So I don't think it's going to have an appreciable difference. I'm giving them kudos for trying, but I'm saying that I don't think it's the right. I, I understand, but I don't think it's going to make any appreciable difference. But then in the tokenomics, they've got 3% of all transactions, so they do charge the tax, and then there's 3% that goes to liquidity to help keep the liquidity healthy, 3% that goes to marketing and development, 3% that goes to a lottery fund. I'll come back to the lottery fund in a minute, but they have a reflection mechanic, and the reflection mechanic doesn't give you back the same token it gives you bnb rewards which is the bnb token and it's 10 percent of the transaction and then that gets distributed so the problem i have with the bnb rewards and it goes to the whole lottery system the bnb rewards has a minimum holding the minimum holding is 200 million tokens and at the current price that it sits at that's not a lot of money to ask but i'm never a fan of hard fast minimums because at the worst, you could say, okay, we'll just give you a minimum reward amount of one penny, and it just happens to go, you know, one penny every second or something. That's better than nothing. But I don't think you should enforce people to hold a certain amount of tokens or greater. I understand why they're doing it, but I don't agree with it, especially because Genie Token's not on an exchange right now, which means that they're going to have to invest of their own BNB in order to buy into the token. Then you have to invest a certain amount or greater in order to get this great reward that you just announced but then the lottery kicks in and the lottery says well you need to hold six billion genie tokens in order to get to the lottery and the way the lottery works is that as they describe it i'm talking about how they describe is once the lottery pool reaches a certain amount and again i said that the lottery distribution is only three percent of the transaction so that means that in order for you to hit that threshold it's going to be a long time if it was only three percent of the transaction You'd have to have a lot of volume in order for that fund to get to capacity, and only then will they randomly distribute it to a different wallet. I, I think it's a creative idea. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very creative, 
and then it entices you to hold because you need to hold the six billion in order to be counted into the lottery. So it's it's creative for sure. I just think that again, I'm not a fan of forced minimums to get rewards. Maybe somebody only cares about the B and B distribution that's guaranteed. Maybe they don't care about the lottery. Let me hold, you know, a hundred million, let's say, tokens and be happy with that, but still get the rewards. And maybe it's just a penny every second, or excuse me, a penny every minute. To me, maybe I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with the long burn of it because at some point I might reinvest the BNB that I just earned back into my stake and then let that get me to the six billion eventually that you want for the lottery, but I didn't have to invest out of pocket to do it. And I know that's contradictory to what they're trying to do in terms of a, you know, buying in and hold. But some people are simply just reinvest type people. I reinvest all the time just because it's, you know, if I'm not sure the token long-term and we haven't seen significant price movement, et cetera, I might not want to put a lot of money into a project. To me, that lot of money might be $100 or more. And if you're trying to do 6 billion tokens, I haven't done the straight math, but based on the current price, I'm figuring that's probably about $100, maybe $200 that maybe I don't want to give you yet because you haven't proven that you're not a rug pull. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying that time has to pass in order for me to be confident. But by the time I'm confident in it, you might be at a price where now it's $1,000 to hit $6 billion, and now all of a sudden I'm not going to buy it at all. That's why I think it's a better strategy to just let anybody get the BNB rewards, and you get a penny every minute, so it's a small amount of money, like a faucet, and then at some point you'll allow people to reinvest that BNB back into another you know, bag of the Genie token, and then eventually I'll hit the $6 billion with no, no investment up from me. And then now I'm in the lottery that I didn't have to invest, but by the time I get to that point, I'm so confident in the project because it didn't pull me that I now am confident to buy in also because they're not on an exchange. That's less confidence for me that I can buy in without having to worry about going through the hoops of BNB token. So the, the exchange to me is important. If you got on an exchange, then I can at least say, all right, if I get a prepaid card for Christmas and it's $10, okay, I'll toss that at you guys, you know, and, boom, that just adds to the bag and then eventually I'll get there and then it's no investment off my back. But without having that or something similar, then now it's, I think it's too much of an ask. I understand why they're doing it, but I don't personally agree with it. The other point that I call out on this one, I looked at their white paper and I, I'm not going to say the white paper is a joke because it's not a joke, but I don't think that they took enough time to really think about what they wanted in the white paper. Um, it started with an image talking about the Binance Smart Chain and I do support explaining the network choice that you made, 100%. So that's good. Um, but then it basically just talks about the strategy of buying and holding. And then there's there's inconsistency in the white paper versus the website, which means they didn't proofread what they put, and so now it creates contradictions. So the, the white paper says, oh, you only need to hold 200 million tokens for the rewards and the lottery. Well, that's fair. That's I don't like the forced, but at least two hundred million is nothing. Not anybody can do that. The website says six billion for the lottery. That's a whole different ball game. So, and the white paper mentions nothing about six billion. So that means they probably changed their mind after the last, after some minute, they changed their mind and said, "Oh, you know what? We need to have a higher threshold." And that's not good. So, whoever and I'll I'll add them, but whoever put this together. You need to update your white paper if it's $6 billion, The white paper needs to say $6 billion so people are clear. Don't just trust they're reading the website, and they won't miss that. They might assume $200 million and that's it. Or if the $6 billion doesn't apply, 
then you need to get that off the website ASAP because I think it's a very fair ask to say 200 million at the current price point. I want to say that's probably like 50 bucks or 40 bucks or something. That's, that's not too bad from a risk mitigation perspective. But I'm saying what I'm calling out is the inconsistency of the fact the website doesn't talk about things that the white paper is talking about. And that means that there was no proofreading. That means that they didn't take the time to make sure that everything was consistent. And that might be a red flag. Now, I don't know where this one's going. You know, their, their utility is the same as everybody else, which might concern people, meaning they don't, they're only focused on like NFTs. There's not really any, it's not supposed to do anything. Like it doesn't really power anything. All it is is for rewards. There's nothing wrong specifically with this, but I'm saying that many people might look for more utility than just NFTs. When you don't have more to it than what you see in the white paper, and you can feel free to read it yourself, that usually means that it's close to a rug pull. I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying that from people's perspective, that's what it might mean, is you haven't done more than what is this for, and so you might end up pulling it. It reminds me very closely of what used to be called the BNB Rewards Token, which was a token that pulled. Um, basically, they yanked the liquidity so you could hold it, and its value's up there, but you can't cash it out. That's the risk I see in what the data is that, that's here, is the risk that, okay, it sounds good, you get all these rewards, it's all cool, but now you're asking people to invest a pretty high amount of money, realistically speaking, for your casual trader. And then you'll get these rewards, but then at some point you might pull it, and we don't know that that will or won't happen. We're saying from what we see, that's the risk that's there. and That's why people might only feel comfortable investing a small amount of money, but then you don't get the rewards, but it has no other utility, so then why am I bothering? I'm sharing the feedback and the thought process of somebody who would look at the site critically as I would do and look for these types of patterns and these types of indicators to tell me, convince me why I should buy into this thing. I'm not going to buy into the thing just saying I'm going to spend $10,000 hoping it drops to zero and then cash out 90 grand. No, I'm, I'm usually going to be a casual trader. I got a few bucks. I want to throw it at a project and let it grow over the next three years. I might spend five or 10, but then with this one, it doesn't give me any rewards if I invest that low amount of money. And beyond this, it doesn't do anything. So why then? What is, what is the buy convince? Why, why are you wanting me to do that? I don't think they've sold it enough is where I'm going with it. Um, so I'll add them. You know, they're on various forms of social media. I will add them so they can listen to this and hopefully, you know, and again, I want to smoke it. They have a rebuttal in some way that, like, I know why they're doing it. I'm saying that from the mindset of a casual trader and the various B&B reward scams that have been, I don't really agree with it, especially when you have EarnHub that's on the verge of launching. Anybody that converted from safe earn to earn hub is already there officially. And you can set up the any, uh, I think it's called AnyFlect. And you can tell them that I want BNB tokens straight off the tokens you already hold. And it doesn't matter how many you hold. You're going to get some sort of reflections, even if it's small. But that's the kind of thing that we want to see is innovative ways to still reward your holders, reward your holder, whether they have 500,000 tokens or 500 billion tokens. You want to make sure they're rewarded. And of course, it can be representative of the percentage that they hold, but you should still allow them to get reflections and not force them to have a minimum stake in the token or have some of the utility that convinces people that's worth holding in order to take advantage of that utility. And I think that's missing here. And hopefully they either it's just not there yet or something, but at minimum, they definitely need to get the white paper consistent with the website. I don't see an audit result. So it has, I'm assuming it has not been audited yet. 
that also may be causing people to hesitate. And of course, that keeps the price low. So certainly if you do believe in it and you trust them, then of course you can buy in at a really good price right now, meet their minimums, participate in the lottery. It's just that many other tokens have come and gone that have done very similar types of gimmicks. And then they turned out to be, you know, rug pulls. So I wouldn't want to advocate that you buy into this one. Feel free to do your own research. And if it's something that makes sense to you and you think it's cool, then sure. But don't invest more than you can afford to lose because there's, I consider a higher risk of some sort of a pull on this one. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm saying it's a high risk until I see that they've done something to refine it. And I like the concept of what they're talking about. I just don't like the mechanics of how they seem to have implemented it and the lack of consistency therein. And then on another point, um, I don't know if you've been following the fiasco that is Bitcoin, but one of the things about Bitcoin is, okay, who is this Satoshi guy, right? The, the one who founded Bitcoin. And there have been lawsuits around different organizations, not directly for this, but around the organization that organizations that were also trying to identify the creator, this guy, Satoshi, so that we can understand basically who who's at play. Because when you do any sort of lawsuit process, you have to do discovery and you do voir dire and you do all these processes that are trying to understand, okay, what is what what's who's in play what happened here what is all the data points we need to know because they can't make a strong decision until they do and so one of these trials that's been going on and it's about there's a bunch of bitcoin that's in a cache meaning it's in a store storage and there's about 64 billion worth of this and it's been going on over all over the place there was a guy some time ago and he's he claimed that he had created bitcoin and his his whole pitch was, you know, I created it, and here's why I created it, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to, da -da. you know, you look at this guy, and he, you could tell he's a snake oil salesman. You could tell that he just looks like he, the way he presents, the way he dresses, everything. You could tell he's a snake oil salesman that's just trying to take credit for something. We don't know what he's trying to take credit for, but that's what he comes across as. Um, and his name's Craig Wright, and so he's been involved in this whole trial. Now, one thing about the whole Satoshi and who it is, we've. The, all we do know, all we do know is there was a person that, you know, what, that passed away and his family is suing the business partner over this, this cachet, let's call it a cachet, storage cachet, for a 1 million bitcoins. And of course, as the value appreciates, you can see there's a lot of money here. Now, the belief is that this cachet belonged to this Satoshi person. And they're talking about where, hey, these went in business together, and together they created this this name, Nakamoto, to remain anonymous. And as a result, when he passed, his stake were entitled to a share of this. And then there was a pushback and saying, no, that's not true. That's, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. We're not Satoshi. There's not a Satoshi. Da -da -da. They went through this court trial, and recently they came out, and essentially, they didn't outright say it, but essentially they said, no, that you know this person over here was the creator, meaning the person's still alive, and didn't include the person that was deceased, and you're never going to find a record there was a partnership, and therefore, this cachet belongs to me, this guy, this snake oil salesman guy. The only evidence they've got about this was the private key around this account for this 1 million bitcoins. The problem is that 
when you need to prove ownership of private keys, they are necessarily anonymous. And so the only way that you could have any sort of evidence, quote unquote, of ownership is if you had proof of transactions. Because in order to prove the transaction, you would have had to have had the private key in a wallet that you owned or in some sort of you know, process that you owned to where you could approve that transaction to send it elsewhere, to sell it, buy it, do something. The transaction is then assumed to have been granted authority by the person who owns that key. So that's where they're basing the argument around is if we can prove that this person did that transaction, then we can assume that person's the owner. Now, it's a faulty assumption because, unfortunately, anybody can transact if they have your private key, and it doesn't mean that you did it. So somebody could you know, do illicit drug trading with your private key. You can't trace it back to you because if they stole your key, nobody can prove that you did or didn't do it. Now, where this all started from this whole Satoshi hunt, this person, this Satoshi Nakamoto person at one point was on social media, was aware, was visible, was communicating, was online, and then in 2010, just completely went off the face of the earth. Never existed. It's like never existed. Most evidence was deleted. But there was a point where it was communicating, but most of that history is gone. A lot of that history existed on or around the Silk Road, which was under the dark web. And so a lot of this is now gone, and there's no way to really trace back what happened or who to win. The person now that their family's filing the claim died in 2013. Because the person's passed away and because a lot of that history is gone, there's no real way to definitively say, okay, what's going on here? We don't know how this how this happened. So this court case came back and essentially said, okay, well, this person over here, it happens to be, this person happens to be Satoshi. We're going to assume that it is in order to process the claim. Here's the funny thing. This snake oil salesman back in 2016 said, no, I'm not Satoshi. I have no claim to it. I have no claim to da 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 And then after the fact claimed that he did own it. Why did I tell you that story? I told you that story because the court case itself, and I implore you to go look into it because it's fascinating stuff. The court case itself is going to have a significant impact on the price movements of Bitcoin in 2022 is my speculation. In other words, I believe that how this person, if this person, this, this snake oil salesman, is verified to be, or at least by way of, you know, de jure, by court. If they say, no, this person is, yes, the founder, or we're, we're going to dictate he's the founder of Bitcoin and thus entitled to this huge stake. It's like one of the largest wallets of Bitcoin. And so then it goes to, well, what happens? What happens to that money? What buys and sells happen? So that's what I'm saying, that whatever happens with this court trial is going to have an appreciable impact on the price movements of Bitcoin in the future, from, from my belief, my theory. And so you want to watch it if you're a Bitcoin trader or you're interested in getting a Bitcoin. You want to follow that case and just make sure you're aware of what's going on with this whole fiasco. It's a, it's a, it's a chaos. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos because of the way that Bitcoin is kind of looked at as the replacement for gold and all this and the value. And it also gives you evidence kind of on a non-business perspective. It gives you evidence of what I constantly say about people, which is money is a very powerful driver. Money tends to cause you to then drop all rules and then go your own way and do your own thing. And that's what we're seeing with this trial because there is so much attention and so much taxpayer money and so much people's time 
invested in just simply trying to give this guy or whoever an access to billions of dollars, essentially, equivalent in Bitcoin, which if you think about what Bitcoin is, doesn't even physically exist, but it just has a value based on perception because the perception is that it must be a valuable asset due to scarcity, and the scarcity is artificial because when it was developed, Satoshi purposely made it scarce because he knew, or she knew, that it was going to increase the value. So due to artificial inflation, or deflation in that case, we have now created an asset that is highly valuable to the point that people are jumping all over each other like crabs in a bucket to try to either bring somebody down or enrich somebody. And we're spending excessive amounts of time covering this. It's a very intriguing thing. And I challenge you to investigate it yourself and just make sure you're familiar with what's going on. But anyway, that's what I got for today. I'm going to I have a, a pointless class I have to maybe have to deal with. If I get a this inter- email, I can tell these guys to kick rocks. But as of right now, I assume I have to do it. So I have to get jump on that. And then I'll be back with my afternoon update. And in the afternoon update, I'm going to dig a little bit more into... Tron, um, the Tron TRX network. I don't, I've not spent enough time talking about it. I want to talk about that a little bit more. And then there's more news update. I like, I don't think it's going to be much out of the Bitcoin, excuse me, the BitMart, uh, AMA. Um, I may or may not attend that because I'm not a, I'm a BitMart customer, but I was not affected by it. So I may or may not attend that possibly if just to give you the coverage of it overall. I haven't decided I haven't committed on that one, but I will definitely be back with an afternoon update. Um, just so I can cover it, round up the bases on some other things I want to cover for you. And then if I do go on the BitMart, then I'll definitely cover that for you as well. But for now, take care.